Welcome to the Coffee Buzz. I'm Brad. Thank you for joining me today. I really appreciate that. I hope your day is going great. I uh, recently was uh, at the trampoline park with my daughter, and uh, they they had on the menu board coffee. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to have a cup of coffee while she jumps around, does all this fun stuff. And I got to tell you, it was better than Starbucks. Can I just say that? Hopefully I'm not offending you, Howard Schultz. I know that your ego is very, very fragile. Um, but yeah, it was better than Starbucks, and here's why. You know, they uh, they only have a Keurig there. They don't have some fancy espresso machine. But the beauty of a Keurig is that you really can't mess it up. I think the only way you can mess up a Keurig cup of coffee is if you forget to actually go and get the coffee and it turns cold on you. But other than that, I mean, it's, you know, it's foolproof. So, you know, the person behind the counter gives me an option of like five different flavors of Keurigs. So, of course, I see the Starbucks Pikes Peak and I say, that's the one I want. Pikes, of course, was the original Starbucks house coffee back in the day. And when I had it, I thought to myself, this is so much better than Starbucks. For one, it's not burned, okay? Um, and two, it, uh, I'm not giving money to Howard Schultz. He's kind of a, he's kind of a jerk. <laughs> I'm just going to say it. Pay your employees. Give them what they want, dude. I'll, uh, I'll stop complaining about that. You know, it's, it's, it's not like he's listening anyway. <laughs> so the film It's a Wonderful Life is turning 75 years old this year. And can you think of a more beloved movie? Seems like everybody loves this movie. And it's one of those that I, I grew up with, like most people do. And I would typically, you know, zone out during half of it because it's so long, uh, like over two hours runtime on that thing. And then I would come back in at the end and, you know, have the feel good moment and then just really not think much about it. It was sort of just kind of white noise while doing other things. And I watched it again recently. And I guess like after the hundredth time of seeing it, you, you kind of start to realize how George Bailey is really a cautionary tale. Everyone thinks of him as this charming guy that's always helping people out and never, ever, ever thinking of himself. And I think a lot of the charm that is attributed to George Bailey is because of the amazing acting done by Jimmy Stewart, of course. I think in the hands of a lesser actor, you would see George Bailey for what he is, the victim and the monster. Um, and in case you haven't seen it this year, here's a quick rundown. I won't, I won't belabor the points, but just for anybody that's not seen it in a year or two, or maybe you have never seen this movie, I just want to give a quick recap here. So when George's father dies, the board at the Bailey Building and Loan decides to keep it going as long as George will take it over. And his deciding to accept the position, you know, to get things in order, uh, to avoid a disruption of, of his father's legacy, is a very upstanding thing to do, you know, at least for a time. So 
George decides to stay instead of following his dream of traveling the world and going to college. And he does this by basically making a deal with his brother, Harry. You know, Harry will go off to college. George will run the building and loan for a while. And then when Harry graduates, he'll come back and take over the business. And then George will go to school. Sounds like a plan. You know, he does this because it's the nice thing to do. It's a theme throughout George's life that we just see play over and over again until he ultimately snaps. Uh, so when fast forward, Harry returns home from college with, with a, basically this amazing job offer from his, his new father-in-law. I think he gets to work as like a, some kind of glass factory. It's, it's a high paying position. And he says he's willing to fulfill his agreement to George and take it over uh, the building and loan as planned. But somehow that doesn't happen. And it's probably because it's nice of George to sacrifice his dream, to basically let Harry pursue his. But it seems like this is done not so much as, you know, being the right thing to do, but it's because of George's inability to have a difficult conversation. You know, he basically just accepts Harry's dismissal of the deal without even an attempt to talk about it. Like he is so afraid of confrontation and basically like painfully unable to assert himself. George makes the mistake of thinking that they're, that he's like an indispensable person. It's like this uh, form of pride that basically robs people of having the ability to stand up for themselves in any way. And then we have the time where George Bailey uses his honeymoon funds to cover the bank run that's happening at the building and loan. He is finally on the precipice of realizing his dreams, of seeing the world and embarking on an adventure. But instead, he uses all his money to help keep the building and loan afloat, which, by the way, is a job he never wanted in the first place. And then there's, of course, Uncle Billy. Can, can we talk about Uncle Billy for a minute? George keeps him on at the building and loan, despite the fact that Billy is incompetent and thoroughly unfit for the job. I mean, he's always hitting the bottle. Uh, and it might seem like the nice thing to do, but you know what's nice about it other than keeping somebody that you like employed you know it's actually not nice because he's leaving someone in charge who's forgetful and prone to to drinking too much and this guy's in charge of the life savings of hundreds of people and all this nice guy people pleasing it comes it comes through with george bailey's shadow his shadow self has basically had enough. So let's just go through, let's level set here on, on how much of a jerk his shadow self is. So he throws rocks at the windows of vacant houses. Uh, when he can't open somebody's gate, he kicks it until it gives. Um, despite her clear resistance, George forces himself uh, to, to kiss a woman while she's on the phone with another guy. Uh, when he has trouble at work, uh, 
he goes home and insults and berates and torments his children, screams at his wife. I think even the, the, the teacher of one of the kids gets an earful. Um, this is also when we learn what George really thinks of his uncle, you know, when he tells him after losing the deposit, like, where's the money, you silly, stupid old fool? And you know, he talks about how one of them is going to prison and it's not going to be him. <laughs> And so, you know, with a house full of crying children, a concerned wife, and a bank examiner ready to put charges on him, um, he goes out to the bar and gets loaded. And then he drives drunk, uh, crashes his car into the oldest tree in town, and he, uh, I think he pops off something to the tree owner as he, like, staggers away. Bert the cop tries to stop him from running wild during his... Uh, you know, manic breakdown. And so what does George do? He punches the guy. Yeah, George punches out a cop. And it makes sense because George's shadow is like sick of him constantly being this martyr in the doormat for Bedford Falls. And in the end, George realizes, you know, the good that he's done for the community and the scene where his uh, family and friends show up to donate money and to toast him as the, the richest man in town, it's about as touching as a movie gets. But yet, you know, what happens once the credits roll? You know, I, I think one night of affirmation or, you know, this uh, epiphany is not going to make up for a life of massive compromises and, and forgotten dreams. And I, Look, I'm not trying to dunk on the film here. I'm just saying <laughs> George Bailey is not someone that you want to be like. I do like the overarching message of this movie. You know, it's really your relationships that make you rich. But it doesn't require unconditional surrender of your dreams. And in the end, Potter gets away with the $8,000. Where, where's the justice there? Fun fact, $8,000 in 1940 is the equivalent in purchasing power to about $170,000 today. So I get why George was freaking out, but uh, talk about somebody that suffers unnecessarily. Am I being too hard on uh, the American classic here? Did I just tank my downloads forever? Am I going to get canceled because of these... Uh, not so popular opinions about It's a Wonderful Life. Let me know if you care to. The Coffee Buzz Podcast at gmail.com. You can find all my episodes at the Coffee Buzz Podcast.com. Make sure you check the show notes. I will include my very own uh, Christmas playlist that I like to rock out this time of year. Hopefully, you enjoy that. You can find me on the socials at the Coffee Buzz PC. Well, thank you once again for listening. I really appreciate that. And I will talk to you next time.